This is The Union, the intersection between people, apps, and AI. We'll inspire and challenge you as we ask questions, uncover insights, and share inspiring stories about digital ecosystems and automation. Well, hey there. Thanks for joining this episode of the Union Podcast. I'm Scott King, and with me today is Sam Abadir. Hey, Sam, how are you doing? I'm well. Good to see you. Uh, glad you're here. Glad to hear. We are going to talk about third-party risk management, right, Sam? We are. I, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. I know. I'm glad it's one of your favorites. Um, but <laughs> And for anybody watching, it truly is one of my favorite <laughs> No, it truly about. is. He talks about it all the time. <laughs> Uh, and he's always educating us and, and we're going to educate you guys. Um, there's a, there was a new guidance or something, Sam, that the, the OCC put out and the OCC is, if I recall correctly, the office of the comptroller of the currency, uh, issued some guidance on third party risk relationships and risk management. Uh, can you yeah. just begin with explain what that is and maybe their intention? Sure. Well, the, the OCC has actually um, been uh, kind of a leading thought leader within uh, the regulatory agency, especially within financial services around third party risk management. Um, you know, they put out issues in 2013 and 2017. And other regulatory agencies followed suit. So the Federal Reserve Board has had their third-party risk management program. Um, the, uh, the FDIC has had theirs. Uh, you can see there's lots and lots of overlap. And, and Scott, the news that you're talking about is actually quite revolutionary because what happened was the OCC got together with the FDIC and the FRB and said, hey, instead of having three similar parallel things that are kind of confusing to everybody, Let's just have one set of regulations. And they simplified and agreed upon using uh, the OCC's regulation. So there's a new note out, and it's um, if you want to look it up, I believe it's OCC 2023-19. But you can go through and, and uh, look at how they have uh, created one singular set of guidance for third-party risk management. And it's a it's a pretty comprehensive framework. You can see that um, you know, it, it has a, it's actually a real framework. You can see the intent of what's going on and it actually has some requirements and you know, things like that in there. So it will, if you're new or you're old in risk third, third party risk management, you'll completely understand what's going on. So if there were, if there were several guidelines, I'm, I'm assuming that there were some similarities were as risk professionals, did they follow one or the other? Um, you know, and then if so, like which one was the most popular? Um, it, it, it's a, it's a good question. It depends on the size of bank you were. Um, you know, some people had to follow FDIC, some people had to follow FRB, some people had to follow OCC, but you know, as you get bigger, or as you get smaller, or as consolidation happens and things like that, there became a lot of confusion. Um, I'm sure those were some of the drivers. There's probably some other drivers in there too, um, for simplifying it, but, um, you know, you didn't have to, you, you, you pick the ones that you reg that the regulators that knocked on your door came in and had. So, uh, uh, and we're, we're testing you on or examining you on. Okay. Well, hopefully you knew who was coming, right. Uh, to, uh, yeah, to your fingers door. crossed. So does this, does this thing, does it make it simpler? Like if, 
if all of a sudden there were three and now we're going to combine it, it, I would assume that they're trying to make it easier, right? Because risk management only gets harder and harder as, you know, suppliers get more niche and we get more suppliers and we're more fragmented. Um, hopefully it makes it simpler. We do absolutely have to commend um, the government and the, the banking regulators for trying to make it simpler, but it didn't make it simple, right? So um, there's always been lots of challenges and lots of weaknesses in third-party risk management programs. Um, you know, I, I remember meeting this guy one time and, and uh, he, he wrote, um, he actually wrote a bunch of articles and his name's Tony De Silva. He wrote one and it's, um, it's, I, I posted a link to it on, on our website, but you know, he's talking about, and by, and by the way, he's an expert because he's actually one of those regulator guys. He goes through and he's, um, been a subject matter expert at the federal reserve bank. Uh, I think from Atlanta for, for years. And he has seen tons and tons of banks and all the challenges they have and simplifying the regulation. Or, or combining three regulations into one regulation isn't going to solve any of those weaknesses, right? So, um, you know, those weaknesses include things like insufficient oversight um, by the board. And there's really insufficient oversight by the board because we're not getting the right data from the third-party risk programs. So they're not getting enough information. There's not a, enough formal um, policies and formal results uh, and you know, history as being documented to, to report to them. Um, third-party risk management, a lot of people think it's the job of the third-party risk manager, but you know, third parties are used throughout your entire organization. And so whenever you see weakness in third-party risk, you often see weakness throughout the rest of the bank. Um, business processes might not be defined properly or defined well, so the third party might flub them up. Somewhere in between, you have to write a contract with those guys. And if the contracts aren't written well, then maybe the whole intention or maybe the, the important nuances of what you need to get done in your business contract or your business process aren't being accomplished by your third party because you know they were never put there. Um, so with that, Sam, you said the if the third party risk management program maybe wasn't as good as it could be, you're assuming that at the same organization, other processes maybe uh, have the same behavior, right? Um, so like maybe they just strong lack correlation to that. Of, of all processes. Is that what you mean? It's a strong correlation to yeah. that. When you see really well-run third-party risk management programs, generally means you also very well-run um, uh, programs, risk management programs internally too. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so that means you're writing good contracts. That means you have well-documented processes. Um, that means that you have the right links between cybersecurity and, and, and uh, you know, the business processes themselves. And frankly, that's difficult, doesn't exist quite a, quite a bit. And what that results in is um, very difficult third-party risk assessments. And when you have difficult third-party risk assessments, you're asking questions that might not be relevant. Vendors don't want to answer the questions. And you get these people who are doing the job that, that find the job um, not nearly as satisfying as what they hoped, right? What they're hoping to do is help the institution, help the bank. Everybody goes into risk management for, for really good intentions, but a lot of times it ends up just being 
reading documents and filling out spreadsheets and filling out GRC tools and you know things like that. So um, you find a lot of people who jump ship and you have very unqualified people oftentimes running third-party risk management programs. And that doesn't happen. I know we're talking about the OCC and banks, but that happens in every industry. But so, I mean, if there's all these documents and spreadsheets and you mentioned GRC tools, weren't the GRC tools supposed to solve this problem? Like, you know, you, you create your process and the supplier, uh, you know, answers all of your questions. I mean, I understand that there's, um, mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of slow process, right? Because, you know, a vendor may or may not react in time. But, you know, what weren't, weren't they supposed to do that? Or they're supposed to fix that? Um, the GRC tools themselves are frankly very good and they solve an awful lot of problems, but they don't solve all of the problems. And let's just talk about third party risk as one of those, right? So if you are an enterprise or you're a bank, uh, you know, the average enterprise, like enormous company has 5,000 vendors. The bank probably has a couple hundred, maybe a thousand vendors. Depends on, I mean, JP Morgan Chase and some of those huge ones have 5,000, 10,000 vendors, easy. Um, I have a friend who was a chief information security officer for a company that every bank in the country um, worked with, right? It was, it's a great business to be in. They have literally every bank as a customer. And the, which meant that they got risk assessments from all 5,000 banks in the country. And that's a lot of risk assessments to complete. And if you ever, Scott, have filled out one of these risk assessments, um, they are between 100 and 800 questions long. So it's not a simple task. It's not something you can just do over your lunch break or anything like that. It takes a dedicated effort. And for an experienced person uh, filling out one of the you know standard security assessments, probably takes about two days, three days. Um, now, two or three days to fill out eight hundred questions. Yeah, it takes a long time. Okay, and and a lot of times the person who's actually getting the risk assessment yeah. is probably the account manager, right? The account manager um, often doesn't have that level of knowledge to ask about business continuity and instant response and you know things like that. A couple will do, but for the most part, they don't. They have to reach out to others. The The chief information security officer is a common person to, to answer these types of questions. And if you take three days times uh, 5,000 assessments, that is 1,500 days. They can't do it. So this is one of the problems. The GRC tools are really awesome. They will send the assessment to somebody, in a, and uh, that person who has to answer the assessment can go into a secure portal and answer all the questions in the portal um, and you know, attach their documents for validation, you know, things like that. But that's where that's where the problem starts because that chief information security, the portal operator can't answer five thousand questions in five thousand or you know eight hundred questions in five thousand portals. They can't do it. And it's quite common to just give your um, your uh, your customer, something like a customer assurance packet, right? And it might have a lot of your information security stuff in there. It might have things such as your SOC 2 report. It might have um, your um, your ISO 27001, um, you know, a statement of, of awareness or statement of assessment. It might have uh, other types of independent things. 
it might actually have an old assessment in there, right? So I fill it out once and I'll just give it to everybody. Uh, a lot of these standardized assessments change every year. I would expect in 2024, we're going to see the standardized assessments to have all sorts of stuff about AI in them. But if I'm still sending you what I wrote in 2017, that's not fully comprehensive. It's not getting all your answers. So this is where this type of stuff breaks down. If you're the risk manager, you still have to report to the board. You still have to do this, which means now you're opening up all these documents. You're reading them and you're looking to answer those questions yourself. So we've just shifted the problem away from the vendor to the risk manager. It's not uncommon to ask a risk, a third party risk manager, how many companies um, are under your management? And they might say, oh, I have about 5,000 vendors or 2,000 vendors. And then you might ask them, how many risk assessments do you get done in a year? And they'll laugh and they'll say 60, 80, 100, right? So it's uh, it's a big gap. And then you might ask, well, how do you decide which ones to choose? And they say, well, I'll, I choose my riskiest ones because that's all I can do. Without assessing them, how do you know that they're your risk? Well, yeah, I know the, the so, risk, I know the most risky of the 60, but not of mm -hmm. the greater number, right? Mm -hmm. So... Exactly. What I mean, I mean, what what are they exposing themselves to by by doing it that way, right? So if there's if if there's a vendor out there and it has you know it's high on the risk scale, but they're not assessing that vendor through one of the organized assessments like the one of the sixty, right? Because they can't get to it. Like what what happens? Like what what's like worst case? Well, a more common scenario is. A more common scenario is you look at those those vendors that you have and you say, these are the ones that um, are going to take some of my most important information and, and you assess those. Generally, those are the ones that have the best controls in place and are managing the risk the best. It's that next tier down, which have uh, which you you weren't expecting to have um you know, issues with. So, I mean, classic example is if you remember what, in the mid, the mid 2010s, Home Depot, maybe 2013, Home Depot um, was, was breached and they, they lost all their credit cards, right? Um, custom, all the credit card information. I personally had two credit cards that were compromised because of that. Um, the root cause of that wasn't their credit card processor. The root cause of that wasn't their health insurance company or their order taking system or anybody else like that, that has, in, that has um, sensitive data attached to it. The root cause was an HVAC vendor, right? And you might think, oh, an HVAC vendor isn't supposed to be touching, you know, my credit card information. So if you're only going to, you know, assess X percent, that's probably not making the cut, but the HVAC vendor had access to the network. And the network, um, the network is where they made their was where the bad guys made their entry point and stole all the credit card information. So um, that's the bigger thing that you have to worry about. Without without doing your full risk assessment, you're not going to understand yeah. who um, who's actually presenting you the most risk. Yeah, the most residual risk. That's interesting because you may not realize that. Maybe the HVAC vendor, I don't recall that one because um, that was quite some time ago, but maybe the, you know, as the smart devices came online, they were doing remote, you know, HVAC management maybe, needed the network, 
They attached to the network, and the risk manager probably didn't put that put that together, which is may happen with AI, right? If you don't realize that all these your vendors are going to be putting different types of AI, either uh, you know from from uh, obviously from other parties, right? So it's a third party risk to them, like supply chain risk of an open Fourth source party, model yep. or mm-hmm. thing like that. Yeah, if you don't realize that, then you're really going to be in trouble because that is going to explode faster than someone needing network access. So, if so, if there's too much work and there's too little resources, people are going to look for AI to do this, right? AI to do something in this process. Where where do you foresee the process is being improved by either um, you know automation? And then AI on top of that automation, what is that going to look like? And, and give us kind of a time frame. Because I've, I've seen Gen AI actually fill out documents from other documents. Is that the kind of thing that we're going to see? Or what is it going to be like? You know, when you go out to any of those uh, generative AI tools like ChatGPT or, or um, Copilot or you know anything like that, that's really hard to... Um, you, you can actually, it's really hard to to control where the answers are coming from. And then it's very laborious to actually ask all the questions. So this is actually one of the neat things that we're going to be seeing. And, and it's available today. Um, but if you can combine process automation as well as AI, we can do an amazing amount of things um, within third-party risk and risk in general. But think about this in third-party risk. And now let's, um, let's, let's start here. Think about this in third-party risk. Instead of asking uh, your vendor to fill out the assessment, what if you just ask them, and by the way, when you ask them to do that and you say, hey, I need it back in a week or two weeks, that causes a lot of stress and a lot of tension between the business and, and the vendor. Uh, and, you know, the vendors don't want to do that. They're the customers. They want you to, to um, you know, they want to be good. They want to be good customers, right? But at some point, they're going to tell you to pound sand if, if it's going to, you know, be too much of a burden on them. What if you could remove all that by just saying, hey, send me your customer assurance packet. Don't even worry about anything else. Just send me your customer assurance packet. And uh, my AI tool is going to complete the assessment for you. I'll give it back to you so you can double check it and even use it internally, use it as you need. But I'll complete the assessment by yourself. And that's going to improve vendor relationships and make that so much easier because AI will be able to cut that time down from, from days to literally 15 minutes. Um, you know, I've actually seen this live and it can do it in like 15 minutes. So that is a tremendous scaling operation and it could be be run 24 hours a day and it can be run in parallel so we're really going to be able to um, be able to complete those assessments but if i take a step back the goal isn't to complete assessments right we've been talking about third-party risk assessments but the goal actually isn't to do that you complete those assessments so you can see where the answers deviate from um, what your organization deems to be acceptable. And that's where risk lives. So now I can actually very quickly use those same tools to not only complete the assessments, but surface the, the, the risks or the threats and make people aware of them so that they can actually have risk-informed 
or create risk-informed decisions. So whether that means reaching out to them on a tool like Microsoft Teams and saying, hey, your favorite vendor um, <clears throat> is doing X, Y, and Z, um, or whether it's putting it into your ticketing system or your finding system and uh, you know, creating something that is you know, traceable and auditable, all those things are completely possible when you combine not just AI, not when you use just AI, but use AI as well as process automation that can you know link into your systems. It's truly um, going to be the next uh, evolution in risk management and really make things more efficient, effective, um, agile, and provide even better resist, uh, resilience. So I. I can expand that thought for a long time, but I think that anybody else who is as excited about it as me can kind of see all the next steps that you can add on uh, to to be a better risk manager and be more aware of the risk so you can go into things eyes wide open. So if I'm a risk manager, like based on your explanation, I immediately have two concerns, right? The AI thing is gonna take my job because you said it's gonna fill it out uh, automatically. And then if it doesn't, like how accurate is it? Because that's the the number one thing is people uh, are concerned about the accuracy. Well, I don't want this thing going haywire and just filling out like crazy stuff or hallucinating. How how do we you know how do we handle that right? Because I've done it the old fashioned way. I filled out question. spreadsheets and and now I've got AI helping me. Like I don't I don't know where I fit. I heard something recently and it, and it really resonated. Um, you, you're not going to lose your job to AI. You just won't. You're going to lose your job to somebody who uses AI. So think about that, right? AI is here and it's only here to help. Um, it's going to make things much, much more efficient. When you say you're going to lose your job to AI, if I go back to um, the stories I told earlier, the risk managers are only doing 50 out of a thousand vendors, right? Uh, you know, in order to do all thousand, they would have to hire 20 or 30 more people to do that. And they're just not going to spend, you know, banks, any organization just isn't going to spend that money today. Your job isn't going away. Um, and remember, this is all about risk awareness, not risk decisions. The, the risk manager and no company has enough risk managers. Um, no company has enough people in risk management, I should say it that way. Um, <clears throat> they're not going to get rid of them. What's going to happen is those jobs are going to, um, AI is going to remove the drudgery of those jobs and, and really bring the, the glamour and the glory of those jobs right up. You're going to be able to communicate with business uh, leaders in, in real time and in context of what it is that they do um, because you're you're using AI and process automation in concert with your GRC tools. This isn't going to replace your GRC tools. It's not going to replace your ticketing tools. It's just going to supercharge all of them um, and allow the risk managers to um, provide insight and value versus typing something here and then retyping it here and, uh, you know, um, occasionally sending off a, a result and being tired and bored and quitting their job. So, I, I I will fight to the end on on risk managers losing their jobs because of of this. This is something that's just going to empower them to to do their job significantly better. 
All right. Well, you heard it here. If any risk manager is going to lose their job from this, uh, Sam will fight for you. You, you sound like a, <laughs> you sound like a uh, some type of lawyer or something, right? That that we have down here in Dallas. Um, but to to sum it up, so if um, so, if I'm a risk manager and I'm looking around at the processes, there's too much work. There's AI. I don't know which one works. There's automation. I don't know how it fits with my GRC tools. What What are three things that that you can advise them to do uh, if they're listening to this podcast? Uh, look for a process AI enabled an AI enabled process automation tool platform. Um, one that is um, platform and tool agnostic, right? And you can tie it into any tool, any process that you have. So the, an, an agnostic platform is, is probably the biggest thing that you can do. Um, so that would be one. Two, we've seen so many advances in, in AI. And, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people have thought about this, Scott, but a lot of people think AI is AI is AI. Well, I remember in the 1990s, a lot of people quickly thought ERP was ERP was ERP. And then they realized ERPs do things differently or enterprise resource planning tools do things differently. And then you had people who swore that Bond was better than SAP, better than Siebel, you know, and all those different things. In the end, um, you know, a couple survived and many didn't because some were really great and some were not. You're going to find the same thing with, with generative AI. And you're going to find that if, ChatGPT is your favorite one today. It might be Microsoft's tomorrow. It might be Amazon's day after. It, it, it could be anything because these things are advancing so quickly. The reason I'm talking about this is if you get yourself one of those AI orchest- uh, those AI enabled um, process orchestration platforms, make sure you're not locked into somebody's AI. Um, I've seen this explosion of AI within tools, right? So. Um, you know, this application has AI built into it, and this one has AI built into it, and this one has AI built into it. What happens when that's not the best of breed anymore? How hard is it to be able to swap out all of the ones from all the different you know, application vendors that you get? That might actually be difficult and or impossible. There's, there's a lot. If you get yourself an AI platform, find ones that you can swap them in and out or use multiple at the same time, right? Um, if you're... If you can get a banking-specific AI to ask mortgage-specific questions, awesome. Um, but you know, for your uh, operations clerk, make, maybe they can use a general one. So there's lots of different things you can do with that. All right, super. Well, I appreciate it, Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've gone a long way from OCC to uh, you know not getting locked into an AI product. So I appreciate your insight and uh, really glad to have you on. Thanks, and as you can see, I'm super excited. Feel free to reach out to me. I can riff on this or chat on this or answer questions on this anytime. All right. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Thanks for listening to The Union. I hope it was insightful and caused you to think about how you can influence technical advancements at your company. Please subscribe to The Union podcast series on your favorite podcast player to listen to past and future episodes. If you have a question for any of us or have a suggestion for the show, please email me at scott at Thanks for listening.